My name is Andrea Bomstead and I am a member at Restore Temecula. If you are new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help in any way, please visit our website at www.RestoreTemecula.com and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android App Store. With all of that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Herrick. If I've had a chance to meet you, I want to welcome you. I would love to meet you. Uh, if you're new, we've been in a series called The King and His Kingdom. We've been working through the Gospel of Matthew, which is this rich biography of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And we have been going through it, I don't know for how long, but we're in chapter 10, so we've made good progress. There's 28 chapters. We'll finish it in about a decade at this rate, and that's just fine, because I think that every aspect of this Gospel is rich, and it's begging us to pay attention to it. And so I don't mind going slow if you don't. Uh, with that said, I'm going to pray for this morning. I'm excited to share out of some of the more difficult teachings and words of Jesus, uh, some of the words that I'm going to be sharing with you today that I've read many times have, at times in my life, been really difficult to hear. And interestingly, as I've journeyed with Jesus over the years, these words are becoming, they're making more sense as time has gone on. So I want to encourage you to be patient today. What I'm going to share with you today and what we're going to talk about today and the words of Jesus today may not totally make sense to you. That's okay. Give it time. He's trustworthy and he's good. I'm going to invite you to pray with me and for me as I try to do the impossible. To proclaim a message <clears throat> that can save lives and change lives and I can't do it myself. Father, thank you for your son, Thank you for sending him. Thank you for your initiative to rescue and redeem a fallen world. And that redemption, that, that plan of salvation is so much richer and so much deeper than I ever knew, certainly than when I started this journey. And today is one of those, like, let's go deep kind of moments as a community, and I pray that, that your peaceful presence would fill us, that you would guide us, that you would help me to really focus on what you're doing in the room and to partner with you in what you're doing, because ultimately that's what it's all about. You've called us to yourself because you want us on your team to go and take your blessing out into the nations, into the world. It's not just for us to enjoy. It's not just for our comfort. It's actually, it's going to mean discomfort for us. We love you, Father, and we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I had this uh, interesting experience during the fall. My son, Josh, plays soccer with Temecula. And if you've ever been over to Harveston, they have soccer fields next to baseball fields. And it is a disaster when there's baseball and soccer happening at the same time. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Utter chaos. That I'm shocked that there aren't accidents every single day in that parking lot. Maybe there are, and I just haven't seen one yet. But I was, I was taking my son Josh one, one like late afternoon to a practice, and, or a game. I don't remember what it was. But I was about to turn. What's that street that you turn on? It's Inez, and then you turn right. Anybody know? Date. Date? Nope, not that one. That's a good guess. It's the one that takes you into that parking lot. I don't know. doesn't matter. I'm turning right there. And as I'm turning right, the car in front of me, there's a car on, actually on the other side of the road that does one of these. They're coming towards me, and then they just pull out in front of me. You ever had that happen before on the road? Yeah, so they're coming from the other lane and making an, un, an illegal U-turn right in front of you that you have to slam on the brakes so that you don't T-bone them. Isn't that great? It's like, happy Thursday. Do you want to die? Because we can make this happen if you want to, you know, kind of thing. 
That's what I thought. I didn't say that. So I'm a pastor. You can't say that. <laughs> so I was like, I was pretty frustrated and pretty, pretty irritated. And so I keep going down the road. It's not far, a few hundred feet. And then I make a left into the parking lot. Now there's cars everywhere. So it's very hard to see what you're doing. It's very hard to see if anything's coming towards you. But as I'm about to kind of pull into the parking lot, this e-bike zooms by at about 100 miles an hour. Probably not. I think they're technically limited to 29, unless you know a guy that can open that up for you. <laughs> but it felt like he might as well have been, it felt like a bullet just whizzed past me. But it was this kid on an e-bike, and he was doing one of these. You guys know what I'm talking about? I think they're called wheelies. And it feels like the wheel of death, sort of like, do you want to die? Spin the wheel and see what happens. Because this kid was zooming so fast that there was no way for me to stop, except for that person that cut me off and did that little illegal U-turn. It delayed me just enough time to where I pulled up and the, 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 the wheelie was popped in front of me and not into me, if that makes sense. And it was one of those moments, I don't know if you ever had one of those where it's like, oh, I was 0.5 seconds away from an absolute calamity. Like that kid would have, I think, would have probably smashed either into my passenger side mirror and gone through, or he would have hit my son in the back seat. Utter tragedy, I think, would have happened. I don't think this is one, one of those where it would have just been a fender bender. I think it would have been really, really bad. So I've had time to think about this. It was one of those moments where I thought about it a lot ever since. And I'm like, dude, what is going on with these e-bikes? And I'm not, I feel like I'm, I'm 40 now, so I'm like, I'm going to sound like a, I'm going to sound like that guy that just sits there and is like, what's the deal with this? What's the deal with airplane food? What's the deal with that? You know, like, but here we are. What's the deal with these e-bikes? They're really cool if you know what you're doing. They're incredible if you're trained. They're absolutely amazing. They can take you places that you would never go if you know the rules of the road. But if you don't, it's a tragedy waiting to happen. This sounds like a commercial for like, like some kind of um, public safety announcement, right? Which is what everybody wants to hear. You're all welcome. <laughs> but, like, but literally, I was thinking like, what was missing from that encounter was, I think, an understanding, an appreciation of the rules of the road. And the rules of the road actually say <laughs> that reckless, reckless bicycling is a crime. You may not have known this. It's a true story. It made it all the way up into the appellate court of California. <laughs> reckless driving, reckless dr biking is a crime. And actually, it was bad enough if the... If the uh, damage to human life is bad enough. It's a felony. It can be really, really serious. And so my, my point isn't to bash this kid that's doing wheelies. People are doing wheelies all the time. I see it in my neighborhood. It looks like a lot of fun, actually, if you know what you're doing and if you understand the situation that you're in. What's my point? Learning the rules of the road is critical. Would we agree on that? Okay, thanks. That's my message this morning. Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, this morning, we're going we're gonna to be in Matthew chapter 10. And Matthew chapter 10 is kind of like the, if you have your Bible, you can grab it, turn over there. Matthew chapter 10 is, well, actually, I'll let, you, I'll let Ben Witherington, if we could put up quote number one. Ben Witherington is a New Testament scholar, much smarter than I am. He explains it like this. He, set, he can set the context for uh, what we're going to be reading. He says, in Matthew chapter 10, we have the beginning of a missionary discourse that is the second collection of wisdom material in Matthew's gospel. The first collection of wisdom material in Matthew's gospel was what? The Sermon on the Mount, right? We spent uh, months going through that. That's the first collection of wisdom material. Now we're into the second. If the Sermon on the Mount was about like how, what it looks like, how relationship works in the kingdom of God, this is, now we're talking about how mission works in the kingdom of God. And the mission, God's always had a mission. Did you know that? God's had a mission from the beginning. In fact, uh, when, if you read the story of Adam and Eve, uh, he gives them a mission. He gives them a mission to take what's happening here in this garden and go take it out. Take it broad. Take this blessing. Take all this potential that I've, that I've created, that I've given into your hands, and go out far and wide and bless 
the world with it. Now, there was a failure from the very beginning. If you don't know the story, Adam and Eve, they sinned. They didn't listen to God. And then that mission, the missionaries became the mission. God now needs to rescue humanity from itself. And so he raises up this guy. His name is Abraham. And he says, I'm going to restart this project with you, baby. And I'm going to give you a kid. He's like, cool. My wife's barren and I'm like 100 years old. Let's do this. And the details are a little off, but yeah, it's not that far off. Let's go back to the quote. You can see I'm going off script here. We're in for one today. Mission, mission has been at the heart of what God's been about from the very, very beginning. So if you're here and you're a disciple of Jesus, guess what you are? This is part of your identity. You're a missionary. You're sent into the world to bless it. Okay, so Jesus, what Jesus has to say about this, could we agree that it's fairly important? I think we can. And Matthew thinks so too, and so he devotes this whole second collection of wisdom material to Jesus' teaching on mission. This section might be considered the rules for the road. The disciples of Jesus are sent out as learners to go to Israel alone and proclaim the good news and heal the sick. In other words, to do what Jesus did. And it starts with Israel, the people of God, who were called by God to be this light to the nations. They were the ones that were going to take the blessing of God to the nations, but they failed. And this is sort of Jesus' Jesus's people, Jesus' disciples are like, let's start here. But we know it wasn't going to stay there. We know it was going to go out into the nations, and that's why we're here in Temecula. Most of us Gentiles, not Jewish people, right? It's because it wasn't just for the Jewish people, but it started with them. So we're getting Jesus' instruction here in Matthew 10, about how to take this good news to the Jewish world at that time. But it has massive implications for how we live our life today in this Gentile world. Okay? The rules for the road. Imagine how far a life on mission can take you. Look at this. Perform the same tasks Jesus performs. Can you imagine what that would be like? To wake up and be like, all right, God, what do you want to do today? Let's do the Jesus stuff. And it happens. That's adventure if I've ever heard of it. That's more exciting than anything. And I, I got a chance, before I became a Christian, I got a chance to do a lot of stuff that was pretty exciting. This is, this is more exciting. I got to taste and experience the pleasures of life to the full. This is more exciting. So imagine how far a life on mission can take you. It's a great adventure, but you got to know the rules of the road so it doesn't end in tragedy. Today we're going to explore what might be the most important rule of the road. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. Let's dive in. By the way, I'm so grateful to Gen Z. For turning me on to Stanley Bugs. <laughs> Absolute greatest. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. I'm going to see if I can work Stanley into every message from here on out. <laughs> Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. So he's been talking about the fears and the anxieties and the worries and the pressure that every disciple will face when they're on this mission of spreading the, the uh, when they're on the mission of the unstoppable spread of God's love and they're bringing it to people, he's saying it's going to get hard. Don't quit. And so now he starts by saying them, telling them, everyone who will acknowledge me before others under pressure, under the threat of persecution, under the threat of death itself, everyone who will acknowledge me, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So there's, what's happening in this world isn't everything. There's more. You may be on the outs of the court of public opinion, but be very much in the right in the court of heaven. Verse 33. Whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. He's saying Caution. These interactions are more important than you think because they're revelatory. When Jesus shows up, it's like all the stuff that's inside comes to the surface. 34, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
How do you like that? That Jesus. Oh, man. A sword. For I came to turn, and now he starts to quote from Micah, which is an intense Old Testament book. If you want to wake up late at night when you're like kind of dozing off, like, I got to stay awake, read Micah, the first few chapters especially. It says, I came to turn a, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus, meek and mild. <laughs> 36, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Nowhere is safe from what Jesus is doing. Your closest relationships may well fracture if you take Jesus seriously. And that's not an indication that you've done anything wrong. Not necessarily, unless you're just being stupid, in which case, don't be stupid. <laughs> don't give people reason to dismiss you and discount you by being a jerk, right? Which, by the way, I don't think that's our problem, but in general, let's just remember that. Don't give them a reason. Let that reason be Jesus' love so clearly manifest in you that they can't stand it because they don't want him. Not because they reject some other issue or some other thing or some other whatever. 37, the one who loves a father or a mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. The end. All right, we're going to start this morning. We've already started. We're going to continue this morning with three observations that I made working through Matthew chapter 10, primarily from these passages, but it's all, these observations are also informed and shaped by the surrounding context. Really, we're going to talk about what it looks like to participate in the never-ending spread of his love, and we're going to learn some of the hazards of the road as we're on it. Number one, if you're a note-taker, Sienna, sorry, you were just so ready during family time, I'm not used to it, not from you, but just in general, which is a good thing. Number one, mission ain't easy. It's costly. Mission ain't easy, it's costly. Matthew 10, 34 says, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Okay, if you could throw up quote number two, we're going to listen to Dr. Witherington again. He has a lot to say on this passage. And he said that the disciples are exhorted to act as sages, okay? Wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. And not to be naive about the potential for harm or the evil of some people. This is intense. Because if you're anything like me, if, if, you're, if you've been in the Christian faith for, for a while, uh, sometimes it's just easier to assume that everybody's just nice. And we're all here because we're nice people who are, like, this is essentially saying, like, hey, not exactly. So these disciples, they, they don't speak for themselves or of themselves, okay, they have an agenda that's not their own. It's God's agenda that they're bringing to bear into the situation, the people that they're with. But the Spirit of God is speaking through them, as is the case with Jesus. So the same power that was present in the life of Jesus will be present in the life of his disciples as they go out on mission. They must expect, and here's the key, they must expect persecution, rejection, and to be a cause of division and turmoil. Have you ever felt like a cause of division or turmoil because you follow Jesus? It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. It's so painful. Uh, I remember early, early on as a Christian, uh, I would, I did things. Like I remember once like, going on a fast because, because somebody in my family was really sick and I was really frightened for them and I went on a fast and, what, and just by the nature of it, we're all eating together, and I'm not eating, so it's like, okay, this is what's happening. And I remember, like, close people being like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Like, you're too, in, you're too extreme, too intense. That was just fasting. Now, imagine if, you're stuck, if you press in even more, it's going to cause turmoil in some cases, 
Jesus didn't come to bring peace, and this is the key phrase here, but the hour of decision. That's what that sword is. It's an hour of decision. And so the division of the righteous and the unrighteous, the wise and the foolish, that's intense. Can we agree? I can imagine that when a, a light comes into a dark place, it would attract those who have sat in darkness for a long time because they can finally see it. However, it might actually be equally likely to attract someone who would rather snuff that light out because they don't want you to see what's been happening in the dark. So it is with Jesus. So it is with him. Jenna, that coffee's delicious. When I, was, when, I, when I first heard about Jesus, I was a young person, I was a teenager, and I couldn't make up my mind about him. I couldn't do it. Jesus sent people into my life that were burning bright with his light to me. I'd move towards the light, then I'd feel the heat, and I'd back away into the shadows. And it would be like that, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until I finally was like, I've had enough, and embrace the darkness, because I love the darkness more than I love the light. Part of why I couldn't stand the light is because it meant that I'd be called to be light, okay? And I knew that if I were called to be light, that I would repel those in darkness whose approval I loved more than God's approval. I was afraid if they saw the light, they'd snuff me out of their lives, for many years, the major reason why I rejected Jesus was because I knew it meant that I was called to be a missionary and I didn't want the heat. I didn't want to do it. It was just too costly. I valued what I'd lose as greater than what I'd gain. My hour of decision came through very loving, remarkable 17, 18, 19-year-olds that I was getting to know when I was a college student my freshman year, who burned bright. And instead of turning right into the kingdom of light, I turned left and remained in the darkness. And I now have a much more under, clear understanding of how costly that mission was to those who were light in my life. They would have felt rejection. I wasn't hostile towards them, although I could have been, but I wasn't. Because I was a hostage. It must have broken their hearts to see me walk away. And they, it was, I wasn't the only one. It was me and a bunch of other people who were my age, who were misunderstanding the light and even slandering it. Some of you have been slandered because you've been light in dark places. And I just want you to know, like, this text speaks to you. There are people who are willing to lose status, prestige, even friendships, their jobs, their very life, to let their light shine. I have so much respect for people like that now, but I didn't then. Mission ain't easy. It's costly. Abraham, who I mentioned earlier, he was actually called to a mission. He was called to leave his family behind, Genesis 12, and go to a land that was not his own. And he was called to leave the gods of his fathers behind and embrace a God whose name he didn't even know. He had minimal information. Where are you, where are you sending me? You're going to go here. Then what? I'm going to give you a son. You know my wife's barren, right? Okay, I'll go. God promised to do some, something impossible through Abraham as Abraham said yes to the mission. This call... Okay, to be the vehicle of blessing to the world was in many ways a call to embrace uncertainty, risk, disappointment, and potentially losing everything, not to mention misunderstanding and tension and conflict. It's costly. Why? Why would you do it? Why would anybody do this? Because of a deep conviction that God is up to something and that you should be a part of it. 
or that I should be a part of it, right? There has to be a growing conviction that what God is doing is worth it. God's heart is to bless this world and to do it primarily. He does it through Jesus, but he sends it by sending ambassadors of Jesus into the world. He wants to do it through people. He's looking for human partners whose sense of adventure for the mission exceeds their fear of adversity on the mission. So I just got to ask you, do you have a sense of adventure for God's mission? Or a fear of adversity? What's greater? What looms larger in your heart? Fiery love or fear of loss? What can God do with people who count the cost and say yes to him? What did he do with 12 fairly dysfunctional disciples early on? Turn the world upside down because they said yes. And if you zoom out and you read the whole story, it's real messy because it's like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Okay, fine. But over the course of their lives, the same God who called them to mission is the same God who promises to help them make it. And these guys, with the exception of Judas, made it. They made it to the point of embracing deaths that are hard to fathom because they wouldn't say no to the one who said yes for them. Mission ain't easy, it's costly, but it's worth it. If we go back to the road analogy, the first thing that you should know is that the road that we're called on is difficult. The road is difficult. Number two, mission surfaces our deepest fears. Matthew 10, 39 says, anyone who finds his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Acceptance, rejection, division, conflict, loss, life and death. Isn't this the stuff that's like, that we're thinking about the most, whether we know it or not? Isn't the stuff that we care about the most? Acceptance, security, peace, safety. These are things we need desperately. And what Jesus is saying is if you embrace me, you may not have any of those things in this life. But you'll find them in me and I will deliver. In the final analysis, I will come through for you. But it may cost you all that now. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to be the same for every disciple. But I'm saying every disciple has to make that call whether they're willing or not. Some disciples will have to give up their life. Some will be martyred. And this certainly has massive implications for, for brothers and sisters that lay down their life for the sake of Jesus. Now, the good news is Jesus also says, hey, if they reject you in one town, get out of there. Flee to the next. That's part of chapter 10 if you read the whole thing. So it's not like, you know, we don't have to like go out looking for trouble. And it's not like we can't like get out of there. You know, like it, there's, there's some wisdom to be used in all this. Jesus isn't like some, he's not a, he doesn't want to use you and abuse you. Like he wants to invite you into something extraordinary that will change you. And it will change the forever of people like me. Even though people like me, when the light shows up, it causes all of the, it shines a light on the foundations of what I built my life on. Right? My fears and insecurities and weaknesses were exposed when Jesus showed up. For me personally, it was finding security and safety and love in all the places minus God. It was, it was romance. Uh, I just could not help myself at that point in time. Like I had to be wanted by a person. The thing I didn't realize is that there was a person who wanted me, and his name was Jesus. And so I came up against fork-in-the-road moments where I had to decide, what am I going to live for? Because I couldn't do both. I'm not saying romance is bad. I'm not saying that everybody's in a romantic relationship is going to go through this. I am saying that every human will have something where you will have to choose what your priority is, Jesus or something else. And it will come, it'll touch on all of these things, acceptance, security, comfort, peace. And I knew that following Jesus meant my romance is not going to be my own thing anymore. It's not going to be something that I'm going to be lord over. And I wanted to be lord over my romance. And so I said, no, thank you, Jesus. I'll stay in the dark. 
My friendships. I knew that if I embraced Jesus, that there were going to be people who just flat out rejected me. They would laugh at me. Or, worse yet, they would look at me as though there's something wrong with me. How could you believe that? What does that mean for me? What do you believe about? Read all that stuff. It would mean trouble with my family. And it would mean that I would be separated from the things that I drew life from. And then what? The road is not only difficult, it's steep. It's a steep road because it surfaces our deepest fears and we must face them. We have to face them. To get to a mountaintop, you have to go through typically windy, long roads where there's danger. This is no different. Number three, if you're taking notes, this is the last thing. Mission reveals our highest priority. Mission reveals our highest priority. Matthew 10, 37 to 38 says, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Okay, these are really hard sayings. For many. For some of you, like, yeah, they're weird anyway. I don't want anything to do with them. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. This is what I've been saying all along. Uh, okay, I don't think that's quite what Jesus was appealing to. Okay, and actually in, in, this, uh, in this society, in this culture, we didn't, they didn't have social security. Okay, they, they didn't have what we have now. They didn't have 401ks. You're, you're ch- Why do you need children? Because they're going to take care of me. They're going to raise livestock and look after my property, and they're going to inherit. And this is going to make sure that we have generations of, found, of security and stability as a family. This is, I have kids because I, I need to protect and preserve my lineage. It wasn't because of romance that people got married and had children. It wasn't a, sad, a bad thing. Side Benny, right? I'm into this. I get behind. But that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. So what Jesus is going after is the deepest sources of our security and identity. Whatever is more important than him means that we won't take up the cross and become like him. We won't do it. It's not possible. It's sort of like that, that teaching earlier in Matthew when Jesus says, like, you can't love God and money. It's sort of like, you, you can't love something more than me and then me. Because that something more than me will win. And that's, dude, that's my story. And that keeps many people, I think, from engaging in the mission that God has given them to bless the world. So I just want to ask you the question like, what do you love most in this world? What's the thing that you cannot live without? What is that thing? If you don't know, like ask God, because everybody's got something. And it might change from season to season. It might change from season to season, and it might end up being the kind of thing where the thing that you want most, you lose. And then at that point, you're ready for Jesus. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. But the mission revealed my highest priority wasn't Jesus. And so for five years, I said no to Jesus. Do you know what changed me? Do you know what changed my life? I was 22, 22 years old, living in San Diego, far from Jesus. I'd walked away from him, and everything, everything that I had put my hopes, everything that I had invested in started to fall apart. Romantic relationships were falling apart. Uh, I was losing touch with the relationships that got me through college because that's kind of what happens when you graduate college. Relationships change. You don't realize that college is like a four-year vacation until you're out of it. <laughs> and so I was like, well, that's actually not real life. It's fun, though. 
My goodness, what a time. So much freedom, so little responsibility. I can't get into it all right now. It's actually kind of frightening now that I'm a parent. (laughs) With that said, my life was starting to fall apart. And I remember one day driving from a softball game because that was one of my defaults was, was athletics. But then you know what happens? You're not as fast as when you were 17. And then you turn 30 and it's all downhill from there. Then <laughs> it back starts, doesn't matter. All the things that I would love to hold on to, you know what I realized? I can't. I can't hold on to it. I, I got to the point where it's like, I didn't know, I hadn't read the book of Ecclesiastes, but it's like, oh, that's a vapor. I can't, it's like smoke. Anybody got some smoke in a, in a jar at home that you've saved? No, it's ridiculous. What a dumb question, preacher. But you can't. Actually, I should have tested that. I don't think you can. I'm almost positive that you can't. I don't know if the vacuum seal creates an environment where... But the point is, I couldn't hold on to these things. You know what I realized this week that I can't hold on to either? This. This is going to die. This body's going into a grave. I that, realized, that was Thursday for me. You're going to die. What a week. But it was freeing. It was freeing. I had this week, my, my wife and kids are in Big Bear right now. And I'm going to join them after the gathering because <clears throat> it's a holiday weekend, which by the way, kudos on you guys for being here for a holiday weekend. Um, and so they haven't been here. I'm really missing them. I realized like, oh, like I really like them. And I like walked through the house and I looked at their pictures and it hit me again. This is Thursday and I'm like, I can't hold on to them. I can't. It's like smoke. I can't hold on to them. I can try. I can suffocate them. (laughs) I'm letting you go. But in reality, like I can't hold on to them. You can't hold on to anything in this life. Guys, have you had that realization that you cannot hold on to anything in this life? Your house, so we're renters. This is not a badge of honor. We just haven't been able to buy a house. It hit me this week. Oh, even if I owned a house, I couldn't keep it. It's actually not all that different from renting. Maybe I could just pass some of that money down to my, my uh, descendants, my lineage, my, my children's children. And then within three generations, it could all be gone because statistically that's what happens. Generational wealth is only for a few generations, then it's done. We can't hold on to anything. Nothing. But here's the good news. There is one thing in this life that you can hold on to. There's one person that you can hold on to. His name is Jesus. Jesus, what I've been laboring to say, maybe not super clearly this morning, is that the road that he's called us to walk on is difficult, it is steep, and it is narrow because it reveals what you love, it reveals your weaknesses, it challenges your deepest priorities. It's hard. But Jesus walked the difficult, steep, narrow road all the way to the cross. He's the one. He's the one who was so convinced of the value and the worth of God and his mission that he said yes, even when inside his preference would have been to find another way. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died, he was agonizing. Why was he agonizing? Because he was face to face with the end of his life. Who wants to give up their life? I like being alive. I think obviously sometimes people do take their life, but that's certainly not where they start. Jesus didn't want to die. He had everything to live for. He was the son of God. His life was beautiful, transformational, inspirational. His life meant everything. And he was looking at the the next day, and he's like, this is when I, this is the end. And if there's any other way, Father, please, 
but not my will, but your will be done. And do you know why he did that? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, if we could throw that up on the screen, has something incredible to tell you this morning about the mission of God. It says, therefore, this is the Apostle Paul. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Everything is from God, and then check this out, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us a mission, okay? Now get this. That is, he explains, what does that mean? In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. In other words, Jesus walked the long, difficult, narrow, lonely, steep road so that he could, in a sense, grab your hand and take you all the way into the heart of God. Not because you're good enough, not because you've earned it. I'm living proof that I I didn't earn this, but because He's enough, and he's worthy. He is worthy of bringing us into God's presence through the sacrifice of his own life. And then it goes on to say, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, and we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So the deeper this understanding of how Jesus walked that narrow, steep difficult road, the deeper that gets into our hearts, the more quickly we turn from verse 19 to verse 20. I'm an ambassador. So if, if, if mission, if you're here and you're like, gosh, mission's not really a priority in my life, it might be time to experience the goodness of the gospel for you. It might be time to experience God not counting your trespasses against you. It might be time to re-experience God treating you better than you deserve. Because that is the only thing that will propel us into a life where we're willing to endure really hard things for the sake of people who also don't deserve it because we know we don't deserve it either. Guys, here's the main idea. Here's the most important rule of the road to love Jesus above all else. That's it. That's it. I'm gonna invite you to stand up. I'm gonna call the ministry team up. If you're on the prayer team, if you wouldn't mind coming to the front. We're going to go into a response time. Guys, some of you... If you're a disciple of Jesus in this room, you know you're called to mission, right? You don't actually need to fear what others will say or think of you. Because what God thinks of you is amazing. What God thinks of you is that you're worth dying for. What God thinks of you is at your unloveliest moment in Christ, you are beautiful to me. You're, okay, get it all right now. But man, like, if you're a disciple of Jesus, let me ask you this question. Do you love Jesus above all else? Or is there something else that you love more? Is there something else that you need more? Is there anything else that's more foundational to your life and well-being than Jesus? Man, some of you, I think, I've never actually heard the toilet flush in the middle of a preach before. It's a good reminder. Hopefully it's that you're all really paying attention. (laughs) Um, I think some of you, you either have or you're going to come up to a fork in the road kind of moment for you. I shared a little bit about my story. I had multiple fork in the road moments where God was like, turn right into the way of life and I turned left. I've done this before. And you know what it leads to? Nothing good. It leads to disappointment. At least it leads to the kind of thing where I can now say like, oh, I can't hold on to that. I can't build my life on that relationship. I can't invest all of my 
emotional, social, relational, spiritual capital into something that I cannot even hold on to, something that is smoke and not in a glass mason jar, like smoke that dissipates, right? You're going to come up to a fork in the road, and you might need the strength to choose Jesus. Some of you might need to come up preemptively to get prayer to be like, I'm realizing that when Jesus says all this stuff about losing your life and finding it and all that stuff, I'm just frightened because I don't know what, what I would do if I was in a fork in the road moment and the thing that I love most and, the, and Jesus, I couldn't pick both. So we just need to come up and receive prayer because here's what I found. The, pow- the same power that caused Jesus to say yes to the will of God in Gethsemane is present in you if you have the spirit. If you have the spirit of Jesus, it says that he lives in you. And what God did through Jesus, he wants to do through you. So you might need power today. Maybe you've you come to a fork in the road and if you're honest, you turn left. You might just need forgiveness. And I just want you to know it's my experience and the scripture's testimony that God loves to forgive. He is, this is not a great way to put it, I might regret this later. He is wasteful with his extravagant love and grace. By that, I don't mean that he's inefficient. I just mean that he'll lavish it on anyone. It's like he can't help himself. Where your need is, if you turn to him, he will meet it. Some of you, I think, using the kind of driving analogy, some of you have hit a dead end in your life. Some of you are kind of like, oh, man, I've been down this road and I'm just kind of stuck here. Can I just encourage you? Like, you can turn around. You can turn around. Maybe you've realized, like, oh, I'm going down the wrong direction in life. It's okay to turn around and be like, Jesus, I don't know why I wound up where, I, where I'm, I don't know why I am where I am, but I want you. You can turn around. I just want you to remember that Jesus had his fork in the road moment at Gethsemane, and he passed. And if you're a Christian, he lives in you, and he wants to help you pass your test. Now, prayer response time. We have a prayer team up here, and they're here to minister uh, to you. And that doesn't make you bad or weird. It makes you human. Jesus had to come for a reason, okay? And it's not because everything is awesome. It's because we really need help. Maybe you're, you're scared because what you risk losing is something really valuable. I get it. What you gain is better. Not easier, not more comfortable, but better in that you are connected to the source of life. I heard this, this uh, I'll, I'll be quick with this. I heard this week that people are resources and God is the source. And I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. He's the source who provides resources to us to help us. But if I turn the resource into the source, I'm lost. And I'll lose both. I can't keep the resource, and then I, I walk away from the source. And then what's left? A dead end. And if that's you, man, turn around and come home. Turn around and come home. You know what repentance is? I heard this defined this way this week. It's like running back to the house of love. If you've ever read the story of the prodigal son, it's called that. It's really about two brothers and a father. Tim Keller calls it the prodigal father. This son, one of his sons makes a mockery brings shame upon the family, which is a huge deal in that culture. And the father, it says, just waits, sits and waits for that son to come home. He doesn't begrudge him. He embarrasses himself by running out to that son, which is another way of saying, like, he's covered now. Let's receive him. So if that's you and you're like, I've been going down the wrong road, I've been, I've been in darkness or I have been going back into the darkness and you're ready to come to the light, I just want you to know If you run to the house of love, you are received with open hands and arms. Uh, Others of you, you're you're just out of gas. Like you've been working hard. You've been running hard. You're tired. I want to invite you to come up and just ask God to fuel you up. Maybe you've sought to help people follow Jesus and it's cost you. I believe the Father has a heart for you too. Maybe some of your relationships have suffered. Maybe some of them have ended. Come and receive his love. For others of you, the car is broken down. Maybe you blew a gasket. Maybe you need a new engine. 
man, like, I want you to picture and imagine Jesus as a mechanic. And he's like, I got time and I have know-how. Come on into the shop. Can't get here? Get a tow truck. Don't have a tow truck? Call AAA. Don't have AAA? You really need some friends to help you out. Just kidding. This is a joke. That <laughs> Jesus, but the point is, Jesus knows what to do. All you need to do is show up. All you need to do is call. Maybe you're on the road and you're just confused or lost about what direction to go. Come up and receive prayer. The prayer team is going to be ministering to you. And for everyone else, I just want to encourage you to minister to God. Hebrews, if we could throw up the, the verses out of Hebrews, this is the last thing I'm going to talk about. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Here it is. Verses 14 to 16. Listen to these words about Jesus. Somebody who could be so irritated and frustrated at us. It says that he's actually a great high priest who passed through the heavens. And so because of that, we can hold on to our confession. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weakness. But one who was tempted in every way as we are at the garden. At the garden, he he had preferences. He had things he wanted. But he was without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Some of you just need to come to him today so that you won't fall off, off the track. Just come and fall into his loving arms. And others of you, you've experienced this mercy. I just want to encourage you. You are the praise team. Yes, you guys are the praise team too. But you know what I'm talking about. They're just here to serve you. They're just here to help you. Man, did you know that Jesus, I got to stop so that you can sing, but I'll say this last thing. Something that really comforted this me, me this week is I was thinking about my impending death because we're all going to die. You know what it says in the scriptures? It says Jesus lives to make intercession for us. You know what that means? It means that Jesus prays for you. Even when you don't know what to pray for, he prays for you. Like we have so many reasons to just cry out, thank Some of you just need to thank him today. And if that's not you, if you're a patient in need of care, it's not weird to be a patient. This is a hospital for sinners. Come and receive. Father, we thank you. We love you. We bless you. God, we honor you for sending your son to restore us, to redeem us. I thank you that Jesus came. He walked that narrow, steep difficult road all the way and what, what he, he what was waiting for him was a cross and he embraced it. Why? So that he could bring us into your presence cleansed, washed, new. And I pray that you would help us to respond in a way that reveals the beauty and the majesty and the infinite worth that your son has because he's the one thing that we can hold on to even when everything else will become like smoke one day. Would you help us to become the kind of lives that are so offered up, they become like a burnt offering to you, a sweet-smelling, pleasing aroma to the Lord, not just in name, but in deed. We love you and thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, I'm gonna turn it over to the band. Feel free to come up to receive prayer if you need it. Enjoy. Enjoy.